So we are going to be in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 this morning. If you've got the sheet, the, some of the words on here are really significant, so you, I encourage you, you can perhaps follow along on that. But we're continuing the series on work, that your work matters. Um, I think this series is really important for a number of reasons, but one of them is a large number of people wake up every day very disillusioned about work and asking the question or thinking, there's got to be more than this, more than you think. Um, According to Paul Goodman, author of Growing Up Absurd, a recent book, more than 70% of all Americans get little or no satisfaction in their jobs. That's really high. Gallup did a poll recently, found similar numbers that 70% of Americans are not engaged or actively, they're actively disengaged with their work. Um, That's why I saw a guy with a t-shirt that had a t-shirt that said this, we, the unwilling, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. Um, That's how a lot of people feel about their work. And, you know, Christians aren't exempt from those numbers. We're not necessarily exempt. Um, Many people do find some disillusionment or feel like they're not finding meaning in their work. And there's a lot of people that see work as a curse. The scripture is going to speak to that in a minute. To them, it's a necessary evil. It's just what I have to do to earn money so that I can support my family and survive, um, to make that next paycheck, to make it. Um, A lot of people feel that way. And a lot of people ask the question or think, is work a curse? Is it really a curse? And what we're going to see this morning is it is not a curse. That's not how God designed it. It's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, that, so I'm really excited to get into the Word. So we're going to be in Genesis, starting in Genesis 1. And what we're going to learn, last week we talked about serving the God who works. And this week we're going to look at how the God created humanity to work. So He's the God who works. He created us to work. So we're in Genesis chapter 1 to start with. And I want to look, show you three places in Genesis 1 and 2 where it talks about, shows that we were designed for work. And the first one is in Genesis 1. Verses 26 to 28 has a lot of significant words in it. So if you would join me in reading Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And there it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is the word of the Lord. Those three verses, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, have been called by theologians the cultural mandate, the mandate to create culture. Um, Someone has called it the first commission, and that's really, that's a great thing. We know the the great commission, right? to make disciples of all nations. Somebody says this is the first commission given to humanity. And there's so much I could say in this text. This is one of the most foundational texts in all of Scripture. There's so many themes in Genesis 1, 26 to 28 that go all through Scripture, threads that are so important. I'm just going to hit a few things, and I want to zero in on a few words, three in particular. I want to look at the word rule, the word subdue, and the word image, because they're so significant. First is the word rule. We see it two times. It is in verse 26, and it's in verse 28. It kind of bookends um, these three verses. It's the Hebrew word radah, which means to reign over. That's what rule means, right? It, but what's really cool about it is it is royal kingly language. It was used of kings and people in royalty. 
So it's not just like ruling in the sense of having control, but it's like this, this sense of dignity to it. Um, and that's important because what that word tells me is that God, He's not just running everything by Himself, but that He actually gives the ability to rule and to govern to humanity, that He actually made us His vice regents in everything that He's doing in creation. So we have a very significant role. The word subdue, which is in verse 28, to me is almost even more cool. It's the Hebrew word kabash. Um, Jewish people still hear that. Have you ever heard of somebody say, put a kibosh on it? That's this Hebrew word that they're using. Um, it means to tame something that's wild, to tame something that's wild, or to bring order out of chaos. Bring order out of chaos. And I'm not going to go into all the detail here, because in Genesis 1, God is forming and filling. He is bringing order out of chaos. He is taming the wild. But interestingly, he stops in chapter 1, he creates a garden in chapter 2, but then he tells them they've got subduing work to do, that there's still, cool, there's still like chaos out there. There's still things needing to be tamed. And I'm not going to go into all the details why, but what, essentially what's going on is outside of the Garden of Eden, there is still this unconquered wilderness that's very not tame at all. It's very wild. And so he's telling humanity in verse 28, he says, I want you to be fruitful, increase in number. I want you to spread, not just stay in the garden. You're going to spread out of it. And as you spread out of it and you get into the wild areas, I want you to subdue that and to bring order and to tame that. And I want that garden, to, as you spread, to extend to the whole creation. Really significant work, right? That act of ruling and subduing. And then is the word image, which occurs three times. So anytime you see words repeated, it's really important. Three times we see the word image. Um, it's, in, it's in verse 26 and verse 27, three times. Um, and here's why this is significant, because we were created by a God who works, and then we're created in His image. And what that means is as part of the image, especially in this text, part of that image is in us doing work. That is one of the ways that we reflect Him is when we work with Him and we work for Him. Um, it's an essential part of His nature, and we image Him by letting it be an essential part of our nature. I mean, it is an essential part. We'll talk about that. So this, ver these verses, 26, 27, and 28, are so profound because in the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis, those first six days, we see God forming and filling the earth. We see Him reigning, ruling over it. We see Him subduing it. And then in day six, he creates humans and he said, now I'm passing the task on to you. You now reign, you now subdue, you now form and you now fill the work I started. I want you to continue and take that and keep doing something with it. So he calls us in verses 1, 26 to 28 in this first commission to the very same work that he's been doing in Genesis 1. And this is so powerful because we talked last week about all the ancient cultural myths back then of creation and how God... The gods created humans to be their slave labor so they could have leisure. But what we find in Scripture is a God who creates humans, not so he can have le le leisure. He's a God who works, who creates them to work, um, creates them to have that work and that kind of dignity, and that he's calling them actually to be partners with him in his work, to be co-creators, co-workers, co-laborers in the ongoing work of what he's doing in the world. So that's the first place we see that we were created for. The second is in chapter 2, still on the first page of this, chapter 2. I want to read verses 4 to 15, so if you could join me there. Second place we see the humanity, our call to work. So verse 4 of chapter 2, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. 
for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work it. By the way, I'll stop for a second. That implies he created it for somebody to work it, right? That's implied there. All right, so there was nobody to avod it, to work it. But in verse 6, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made grow out of the ground all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 15. We're going to hit 10 to 14 somewhat next week, but verse 15, and it says this, Then the Lord, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to what? To, to work it and take care of it. To work it and take care of it. Um, both of those words are word works. To work in Hebrew is avad. And the word to take care of is shamar in Hebrew. To avad means to work or to cultivate. Cultivate being to promote, develop, or improve the growth of something by labor and attention. So that's what he's saying. I'm putting you in this thing to work at it, to labor at it, to improve it, to develop it. And then shamar means to keep, to watch, to, to tend or to attend to. And we're going to look next week at those two words. Um, there is so much treasure in this one verse and in those two words that I am so excited about next week. Actually, I was, next week's sermon was going to be in this week's, but as I was busy on this Tuesday, I'm like, there is no way I'm going to get all of this in one sermon. So I'm learning, okay? I'm learning. I'm going to cut that part out and wait till next week. But that, to me, is maybe one of the most significant things we're going to look at in scriptures next week. So don't miss it. I'm very excited about it. But these two words, to, to work, to avad, to work, to shamar, to keep, to attend to, these are like stewardship words. I talked about stewardship a couple of years ago. A steward is a person who's been entrusted with something and given the responsibility to manage that thing according to the owner's vision, values, and desires. And the good stewardship then is the careful, responsible management of what's been entrusted to their care. So humans are created to steward, to work at, and to steward the very thing that God had created. And then chapter 2, verse 18. So flip to the back of this sheet if you've got it. Genesis 2, 18. We're going to read 18 to 20. The third place that we see work for humans here. So in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so here in this text, these verses, we see the naming of the animals. And in their culture, that was really significant back in that ancient those ancient Near Eastern times, because to name something meant you ruled over it and you had authority over it. So it really, it signifies his ruling and reigning. Um, but there's something even more cool. God could have named these animals. Do you know that? Go back to verse one, I mean chapter one with me. Go back to chapter one, flip the page back over. Look at verse five. In verse five, it says this, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So we see him naming in, in chapter one. Look at verse eight. In verses 8, it says, God called the vault sky. Okay, look at verse 10. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called what? 
he called seas, and he saw that it was good. So we see God naming in chapter 1. God is more than capable to name things, but he doesn't name all the animals. And again, I think it's because he wants partners working with him in what he's doing in the world. So he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some of the naming work to you. And so he gives that off to Adam. I mean, can you imagine what it was like naming all of those animals? I mean, for those of you that have children, especially if you get past two, the first two naming is kind of easy, right? Because you, you come up with your favorite boy and girl name for the first one. And then she, he or she is born for us, Carissa, so you give her the girl. You've still got the, sec- the guy's name to put in your pocket. Um, and then for the next one, you're like, but we had our second favorite girl's name, right? But by the time you get to the third, you've kind of run out of names, and a lot of times it's a struggle. Um, a lot of parents with the third kid, it's really hard. And so maybe you end up doing uh, kind of what my parents did. I, we have no idea. How about just something weird? How about Garen? So you just throw a weird name out there, right? And then you get stuck with it the rest of your life. Um, but, I mean, think about this naming of the animals, um, what that was like. I mean, could you see Adam, God just bringing him one at a time? And I'm sure he brought a puppy, right? He's got to bring a puppy. Right, aw. So um, he wasn't there to do that yet. But, and he goes, uh, let's call that one dog. And then God brings this, and he's like, cat. That's cat. And then, oh, yeah, cow. <laughs> Over here, we have some naming going on. That's really awesome. That's the work of Adam and Eve. Um, and then, yeah, Adam's like, Pig, definitely pig. That's the word for that thing, right? And then he says E I E I O, and with that, right? So, um, I mean, I'm just imagine all this, like, like, whoa, I think that'll be a zebra, and like, wow, look at that hippo. Oh my, <laughs> that's gotta be elephant, and whoa, look at that. I mean, can you imagine seeing all these things? I'll call that one giraffe, right? Um, how about this? Ah, horse, that's easy. And then this. Yeah, easy, I know. How about this one? Adam's like, God, you, do you have copyright on C? You did that in chapter one. God's like, no, you can have it. All right, seahorse. Seahorse for that one. And then, can you imagine this one? Like, uh, duck, okay, that's duck. Uh, beaver. Duck beaver. And God's like, that doesn't, no, no duck beaver. Okay, platypus, right? Um, here's what is so cool about this. Because in chapter 2 earlier, the Avad and the Shamar, that's physical labor. But here he's doing mental creative work, right? That's what he's doing here. And here's why that's so important. We talked about this last week. This divide we have in our culture and in our minds between white collar and blue collar work is false. It's not biblical. If you remember, God did both kinds of work. And here we see humans doing both kinds of work. They're doing the physical, manual kind of work, and they're doing the mental, creative type of work. I mean, manual's creative too. Um, but we see them doing. So again, all work is God's work, and all work is important. I love how Scripture um, confirms that and emphasizes that to us. So here's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. That God creates the man and woman. He creates them to image him. And in doing that, he gives them this, he entrusts with them this ongoing work to be at work in his creation of creating and of forming and of working and cultivating and naming. He's giving them responsibility to take on all of it. And I think that's really cool. And what I learned from that is, is what we learned from Genesis is that we were made to work. We serve a God who works and we were created to work, specifically to continue the work of God in this world. 
We're made for it. It's central to being human, right? We're created for it. We're called to it. It's in our DNA. Work, it's just hardwired into us. It's built into us from the beginning. It's something that, that kind of wants to come out of it. It's, it's in our bones. Tim Keller said this, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. Amen. And that also means, we're not only are we designed and created to work, but that there is dignity in work because we're doing the very thing God does. There's dignity in it. Work is a noble thing. We are ennobled when we work. It gives us a deep sense of importance. What I learned from Scripture is we need work to thrive emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, mentally, at all levels. We need work to thrive. And that's why unemployment is so devastating and depressing to people. That sense of kind of meaningless when that happens because we're designed to work. We were not meant to be idle. There's one particular place where our family has seen the goodness and the dignity of work in a really unique way. I wish I could take you all there, but I can't. It's Bethesda Place in my hometown in Hayes, Kansas. Um, Hayes had a very famous institute for people who were mentally disabled. And our church had a ministry with them, and I actually, the first thing I ever served, baby believers, I actually taught a class with several of those guys in it. And especially back then, those institutes that were created, the institutions, they were good. Um, but it was mainly you just kind of, you do, they did things with them, and, but it was missing a really key ingredient. And so a couple in Hayes, Kansas, Tom and Shelley Stafford, started a ministry for the ministry dis, the, the mentally disabled. And if I'm using wrong words, forgive me, because I just don't, these days, I don't know what you can or can't say. But they started this ministry for mentally disabled men. And they started the ministry with this conviction that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being, no matter our ability or our disability, we're all created in the image of God. And that every human being is capable of and is intended to produce and create and work and that we all get dignity from that. That was a core conviction of theirs. And I want to tell you, the ministry they created, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I wish you could see it. Those guys... With the family, they lived together, they played together, they prayed together, and I want to tell you, they work together. Every day they put in a good day's work. They do so much stuff. They have planted a tree farm, and every year they're giving 100 trees to landscaping firms in the Hayes area to use in landscaping. Isn't that really cool? I just was, uh, was in contact with them, and they said the first tree that they got, the first trees they got, when they got planted, they got planted uh, upside down which is just cute, right? They had to go out, dig them up, and, re- and turn them over. Um, but they have this tree farm. They also, from that farm, they have a number of trees they'll cull out every year and chop up for firewood that they sell. They grow in a pumpkin patch every year, not just for fun, but they actually give pumpkins and other things. They grow a giant garden. They eat their own food to self-sustain themselves, and then they sell it to other people in the community. They do woodworking, and this is how I first found out about them. I was a baby Christian, and every year in Hayes at the mall, they would be selling these wooden ornaments that were handcrafted that were just the most amazing things, and it was made by those guys. And that's how I first got to even know about the ministry. I forgot I was going to bring something. Maybe next week I'll show you some of what they make. Our house at Christmas is full of their stuff. Um, and what's cool is, is their ministry is totally self-sustaining from the profit of the work those guys do. Isn't that cool? They actually, it's self-sustaining. Here's what it says on their website. We have discovered that just because someone cannot cut with scissors does not mean they shouldn't use a bandsaw. 
or the not being able to count to three does not prevent a person from driving a truck. Here's their vision. It is our hope that the residents of Bethesda Place can encourage others with abilities and with disabilities. That by following their example of hard work and humility, they can contribute to the betterment of their community and the people will clearly see what great assets they are. Isn't that cool? It's so cool. And if you go there and get to know those guys and you spend time with those guys, I want to tell you, when you look in their eyes, you see this amazing level of joy because they have this dignity of, of just of being loved for who they are, but the dignity of work. You can just see it in them. I love that ministry and what they do, how they provide for themselves. Um, and they're just the, the most loving guys anyways. Uh, sometimes Pat and I on the way to Colorado will stop and stay. They, have an Air, a, they actually run an Airbnb on their property, okay? These guys do. And they take care of it. And so we'll stay there. But they always, they always encourage them because they always want to see who's staying there. And they just tell the guys, you know, don't, uh, you know, you've got work to do. Don't always feel like you have to see everybody. But they found out, if they find out we're there, the next morning they'll all be out like chopping the bushes and stuff. Not <laughs> because they just want to say hi. So uh, it's really cool. But here's what I want you to see in all of this, that in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's plan for work, work that was intended to be fulfilling and intended to be fruitful. That was his plan for work from the very beginning for humanity. And I talked about this a little bit last week. I want to say a little bit more, that this view of work was radically different than any other, any other creation myth, any other religion, any other worldview that was around them at that time. Because in almost all the virtually all the ancient cultures, they saw work, especially manual labor, as something that was beneath the gods and that actually put humans on the level of animals. It was like beastly. To work was beastly. That's, that's how they viewed work. But the scripture is the total opposite. In the Bible, work is God-level activity. Is that not cool? Work is God-level activity. And work is something that actually separates us from and it elevates us above the animal kingdom. That that's how significant work is. But also to those ancient people, they saw work as a curse. You all know the story of Pandora's box, right? A God gives Pandora a box. It's full of all the evils. They say, don't open it. She gets curious. She just pulls it open for a minute. A bunch of it escapes. I think except hope. She closes it and hope gets stuck inside. But of all the things that come out of that, death and decay and disease, one of the things that comes out of that is, what would you guess? Work. Because they saw it as a curse. And I said it last week, but again, for thousands of years, even in old Europe, this is how people saw work. I quoted this guy last week, but I left off the last phrase of what he said. George Chapman in 1605 wrote, do nothing, be a gentleman, be idle. The curse of man is labor. Curse of man is labor. And though we don't have that same view anymore, we don't believe those old myths, I think a lot of people in our culture still tend to think of work as a curse. It's just a means to an end. It's just to make money, to take care of my family, and then hopefully to have some extra left over so I can really live on the weekend, right? Because it's about the weekend. It's about the leisure that's most important. You'll hear people talk about just two more days and then the weekend. I was working on this sermon Tuesday at ESU and I was on the second floor. It's usually pretty quiet up there, but it's open to the side. You can hear stuff going down on the first floor. And I heard it, overheard a guy meet another guy, and the guy said, how's it going? And the guy said this, it's only Tuesday, and I'm ready for the week to be over. There's so many people that that's how they feel about work. But I want you to know, this is not the view the Bible takes. In the Bible, work is a good gift from a good and gracious God. 
So in chapter 1, verse 28, that verse in particular has the job description for humanity. And the first word that it says after God in verse 28 is God blessed them. So work is a blessing. It's a good thing. Work is a gift. It's not a curse. It's not garbage. But it's a gift. Future sermons, some of us take work and make it a God. That is where we get the main meaning of our life. But I just want you to know it's not garbage, but it's a gift. So the view of the Bible is revolutionary. It was then and it is now. So last week I ended with these questions. Okay, that all sounds good, right? Sounds good. But if work is so good and if it's truly a blessing, then why is work so hard and so frustrating at times? Why is it that work sometimes feels more like a curse than a blessing? Why is that? And Scripture is so profound. The answer is in Genesis 3. So we're going to look in Genesis 3. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 the plan, God's plan for work. In Genesis 3, we're going to see the problem of our work. The problem of our work. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall of mankind, right? Their rejection of God's reign over their life, their rejection of relationship. They're saying, we don't need you in our lives. And the fallout of that decision was disastrous. It affected everything in creation, everything. that it set These dominoes in effect that touched everything. Everything was, became marred and corrupted by their sin, including our work. Tim Keller says, the fall of Adam and Eve, and therefore the rest of the human race into sin has been disastrous. It has unraveled the fabric of the entire world and in no area as profoundly as our work. So look in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. I want to show you Genesis 3, 17 to 19. And 17, speaking to Adam after their decision. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree, from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, let me ask you, this is important. Does he say cursed is your, your work is cursed? No. What's cursed? Okay, the ground. That's really important. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, all, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food, your food. If you have last week's, that you will eat your food was left out by accident. You can write it in, last week's sheet. You will eat. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. But verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And that word painful toil is the Hebrew itseban. Sounds like ichiban over here, right? You can go tell them, hey, Garen said, well, never mind. Itseban. Itseban means pain, travail, and toil. Toil. It comes from the root word in Hebrew, atzab, which means worrisome and sorrowful, okay? Strong word. You kind of get the meaning of what's happened to work now? Um, and I didn't put it in the text, but interesting in verse 16 when he says to the woman, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe with painful labor. It's the same word, itziban. So even in childbearing now, right, be fruitful and fill the earth, that's going to be itziban now. And the work I've called you to do, it's going to be itziban from now on. So after the fall, the fields still produce. They still produce. But now they also produce thorns and thistles, right? Thorns and thistles. The ground now is not only fertile, 
but for the first time, it fights back against us. We're not just now cultivating gardens, the man and woman in us, but we're also fighting the elements that conspire against us in our work. Um, who's ever gardened here? Who has? Maybe your mom did. You've worked in a garden? Okay. If you've worked in a garden, you know exactly what this is talking about, right? Um, so, you know, I love black-eyed peas and okra. Plant them every year. If I kind of leave my garden alone, which is going to grow more, those or the weeds, the thorns and thistles, so to speak? Which one? Yeah, 90% of gardening is, I think, fighting thorns and thistles. That's what I feel like. Most of it is that. And you don't have to be a gardener or farmer to feel that reality in your work. We all feel it. Because post-Genesis 3, all work is now painful toil. It's all itziban. All of our work has been subjected to sin. We're all frustrated to some degree in our jobs now, every single one of us. We live in and work in workplaces that are messy and broken, and thorns and thistles are common in everything we put our hand to. doesn't matter what it is, right? And that's the problem of work. Post-fall, while work can be fulfilling and fruitful, and it still is, it is now frequently unfulfilling, and it's frequently fruitless. What was intended by God to be joy, our joy, is now this mixed bag of both good and bad. Even the best jobs at times are difficult and frustrating. Is that not true? You can have the dream job and there's still things that frustrate you about it. But for a lot of people, work is only pain and frustration. And it doesn't matter the workplace, Christian or not. All of us and all of our workspaces are affected by the fallen by human sin. All of us experience that in our workplaces. All of us feel disillusioned at times. All of us has goals and dreams of things we're going to accomplish, and some of that stuff never comes to fruition, right? Or you put into effect something you've planned, and what they call the, the principle of unintended consequences come in effect, and you're like, you do a good thing, and you find out five bad things come out as a result, right? That's part of work after the fall. Um, even in good jobs, some of our tasks are just boring. They're boring. Um, after the fall, people experience fatigue and burnout. People feel overworked and underpaid. After the fall, every one of us, no matter how good our coworkers are, they're sometimes annoying and irritating, right? There's strife, there's conflict, there's gossip, there's jealousy, there's envy, there's elbow throwing, there's ladder climbing that goes on in work. Some experience injustice in their workplace. It's no wonder that people call work the rat race, right? Because it can feel that way at times. And let me say something really important. Before we get too critical of our workplace on those external things and kind of turn, a, turn an evil eye towards our work environment, yeah, the work environment is fallen, but there's something more fallen than our, my work environment. You know what that is? Yeah, it's me. It's my heart. I have a sinful heart. I have weaknesses. I have limitations. I have brokenness. I bring into my workspace every day, and it negatively affects it, Right? And I've got a sinful heart, and that sinful heart impacts me. It impacts my colleagues, my coworkers, those under me. It impacts the people I'm trying to serve. I cannot get away from that. Um, I cannot get away from my own human sin that affects my work. Wow, that's kind of heavy, right? Yeah, so before you cast too much of an aversion to the workspace, you know, I think we all need to start here. And what do I bring? What darkness do I bring to work? And everything I've just described is first world, our world. 
um, their first world problems. In the majority of the world, people live hand to mouth, um, working to the bone, what we would call ungodly hours, just eking out a living, barely making it. So even with our thorns and thistles here, we've got it good compared to most places. You know that? We've got it good. So I want to land this plane. So Genesis 1 and 2, God's plan for work, his intent that it be fulfilling and fruitful. But then sadly, it's followed by Genesis 3, which is the problem of our work, which is that many times it's unfruitful and it's unfulfilling. And these next things I'm going to say are pretty important, so I actually created a slide. Like everything else in life after the fall, work now falls under the curse. It falls under the curse, but I want to be crystal clear on this. Work in and of itself is not a curse. It's not a curse, but it falls under the curse, and that's a really big difference. Work is created by God, and it still is a blessing, and it still is a good gift. And even though there is pain and frustration all of us experience in work, the plan of God, that original design, I think still shines through. We all find great meaning in our work, great fulfillment. We're drawn to it. So I think God's original plan shines through even above the problems. So we've got this plan and this problem. Um, I mean, what, what I love about this, if I go back to that, and what I love about Scripture and what drew me to Scripture is, is that not true of life? Is that not true to life? The blessing, the goodness of work, we feel it in our bones, the need for it, but there's things about it that just frustrate us, like we can feel these two tensions running, and Scripture is the only worldview, it's the only religion, it's the only philosophy that holds both of these in that kind of tension, but especially elevates work, and I find it rings so true to life, and that's what drew me to God in Scripture, particularly, is I found so often what it said about life ring true. So, according to the Bible, all work is good, it's all good, all of it. And every kind of work is good. We talked about that last week. And according to the Bible, though, sin entered um, before sin. Here's what I want to say. Let me not mess this up. It is good. And before sin ever entered into the world, here it comes, before sin ever entered the world, there was work. Work was in paradise. It was in paradise. Work was ordained by God before the fall. That's really important. Before corruption came in the world, there was work. And so 12th, I just want to remind you that work matters, that your work matters. We learned last week, we serve a God, we worship a God who works. This week, we are created and designed to work. We, as his image bearers, we're his co-laborers with him in his good world. And again, there has never been a religion, a philosophy, um, a worldview that's ever produced such a high, lofty view of work of Scripture. And to me, it rings totally true. And so I ask again, like last week, is not our God and the God and His revelation, is this not amazing, what it says about work? And I want to tell you, what it says next week about work is even more profound. We're going to take another step that's even a higher step, in my opinion. Um, I am so excited about what we're going to learn from Genesis 2 next week. But let me set it up this way, because I think a lot of Christians struggle with a question that people outside of here don't struggle with, with work. And here it is. Here's the question. To God, isn't ministry really a higher kind of work? Ministry is really a higher kind of work, right? That if I'm not doing church work, my work is second class, right? It's second class. That if I'm not in ministry, if I'm not in church work or missionary work, 
right? That I'm on the junior varsity team. Is that not true? The people in ministry are varsity, but if I'm not in that stuff, I'm junior varsity. In Genesis 2, 15, there is some deep treasures there. God is going to speak so profoundly to that, and I can't wait to share it with you. It is really, really cool. You'll be glad I separated it off as his own sermon. (laughs) Trust me. So, would you stand with me? I want to close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how practical, for how true to reality it rings. Thank you for the fact that not only you, are, you work, but you created us to work, and there's dignity in work, um, for your plan for work. Lord, you know we, we live in a world that's broken. We feel it. We do. And we feel the brokenness in our work. And I just pray, Lord, that all of us, that you would help over the coming weeks as we talk more and get more practical about how to apply Scripture to our work on Monday to Friday, that you would help us to learn to live with some of the the thorns and thistles and how we can be people who shine forth your gospel at work and we bring your influence into it. Um, But again, like last week, Lord, help us to leave here with our heads held high, knowing that we, in any work we're doing, we're we're engaged in your work. And may we go to our workplaces this week with a greater sense of how important it is, and may we go into it with a sense of carrying your name into it and wanting to be an influence to people there. Um, that we would be cultivating it, we would be taking care of it, we would be doing all the things that you called Adam and Eve to. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus, that tradesman, that carpenter, that stonemason, um, we pray in his name, our Savior. Amen. All right, 12, so again, you're sent into your workplace, hold your heads high, work has dignity, seek to be an influence for the gospel there.